Now, I want now to take a, a reading from the book of Jonah. Now, about two years ago, I preached from the book of Jonah, and, um, but I, I think this sermon is, is different. <laughs> um, but it is as well to remind ourselves about this book. Um, Jesus, on two occasions, referred about himself, about the sign of Jonah. So it's, to use highfalutin language, this book has Christological significance. In other words, this book points very, very, uh, very uh, uh, significantly to the work of Christ. And uh, so it's an important book, and it's an important book in lots of different ways. So I'm going to read, um, I'm not going to read all of it now, but um, I'm going to read the first two chapters, and, uh, and then... Uh, just to remind ourselves of uh, the facts in the book. So, starting at Jonah chapter 1, which is on page 920 in the Church Bible. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Very strange, actually, here, if you think about it, it doesn't actually give a reason for why he suddenly fled. Uh, at first glance, you might say, oh, he was scared. Uh, Nineveh was the center to the Assyrian Empire, the great totalitarian fascists of the ancient world. Uh, was it that? No. We're given another reason later on, as we'll see. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they, buried the, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid him, and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God, the God, will give a, a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Yahweh, Jehovah, they would learnt the name of Jonah's God. Let us not perish for this man's life, 
and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now I'd just like to point out there that there's a Hebrew idiom about time. When three days and three nights is, is used, it, it really is not necessarily saying this is a period of, of 72 hours, but a period in which three separate periods, three, if you like, day-night periods are touched. So, for instance, if we take the resurrection, Friday night, if part of Friday night, you know, just even half an hour of Friday night is involved, um, then that is counted as a whole day. So an hour of Friday, a whole day of, of Saturday, and one hour of Sunday would be three days in, Hebrew, in he, the Hebrew way of accounting time. And the same goes um, for Jonah. Why do I say this? Well, simply because uh, Jonah was, wasn't actually uh, in the belly of the whale necessarily for 72 hours. It may have just been, it may have just been you know, 30 hours. But, but so anyway... Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried out, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your bellows passed over me. Now here, Jonah is praying using biblical phrases from the Psalms and asking God to help him in his distress. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So Jonah, even though he failed and rebelled, and he got what he wanted, he'd fled from the presence of the Lord because he didn't want to serve God. And now he was praying, Lord, I'm out of your sight. Help me. And yet he had faith and trusted that God, even in this terrible situation, would help him. Um, So verse 5, the waters closed over my head to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving and sacrifice to you, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, may God bless this uh, uh, book to our our experience and our our lives um, later on in the service. But if I could now ask Henry to give the notices, please. Thanks. Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, thanks to Ed for uh, leading the service and speaking uh, tonight. Uh, So the activities during the week are the usual activities. So we've got the prayer meeting tomorrow night, half past seven, and the uh, Bible study on Wednesday at half past seven. Just a reminder, we do have the online prayer time on Zoom. 
each uh, weekday morning. Um, and uh, we have a visiting speaker next Sunday whose name? I forgot. Nathaniel in the morning and Ollie Rice in the evening. Thank you very much. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Um, and just to, just to uh, give forward notice, in case you're not aware already, we have got a church conference booked for the 23rd and 24th of September. Uh, uh, we've got uh, a man called Julian Hurst coming from Milnrow Evangelical Church in the northeast of this country, and he's going to be speaking on what we would call the doctrines of grace, the five great points of, 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 um, of how God saves us according to, according to his grace. Um, so do book uh, that weekend out, please, if you possibly can. Uh, we will be sending out some more information shortly. Uh, thank you. Now let's pray as we look into God's word. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, without you we can do nothing. And even, Lord, as we read your word, without your Holy Spirit um, giving us, Lord, the true meaning of, of an application to our own lives, Lord, we, we get nowhere. And, Lord, without your Holy Spirit giving us love for you and love for people, also, Lord, we are nothing. Oh, Lord, please grant tonight that both uh, those uh, of us in the church and those listening online will, Lord, hear your voice. Speak to us and help to change our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, I preached a couple of years ago on, on Jonah, but I have to say this last week or two, uh, this, the book has gripped my mind, um, and uh, I feel drawn again to talk about the staggering experiences described in this book. Um, the, the experiences are surreal, to use a 21st century cliche um, that uh, people use all of the time. But what does surreal mean? Surreal means uh, something so uh, unreal, it's like a dream. In the case of uh, Jonah, it's more like a nightmare. Um, and in fact, uh, the experiences um, that uh, we find Jonah has are, are, are mundane, but also nightmarish. The, and the experiences are often ground in a selfish and rebellious human nature, and yet the book itself, which Jonah himself produced afterwards, is a book which points to this wonderful transcendent grace of God. Now, it dovetails into my sermon I gave last week, talking about saving others by snatching them out, out of the fire, but actually, if you like, having an exception that proves the rule in the case of the, the noble company of the apostles and prophets, because the last thing that Jonah wanted to do was snatch people out of the fire. He was hoping, as you will uh, you will uh, have gathered from the book we've read so, so far, he was hoping that fire would come from heaven and destroy Nineveh. And yet, he had a series of, of nightmarish experiences that showed him he was on totally the wrong track. Now, let's start off with this. I mean, I, I've mentioned... Uh, um, uh, that uh, uh, you know a title. Um, my title, actually, if you haven't seen it, is Jonah: The Waves, the Whale, and the Worm. Now, I'm not a great one for alliterations. Actually, I don't usually use alliterations. Uh, but actually, I found that my fourth point, 
was the wind, and I decided not to put it in. But in fact, we have the waves, the whale, the worm, and the wind as experiences that really changed the prophet Jonah. And uh, let's start off with this experience of, uh, of, of, uh, that he had, uh, which everybody knows about, which is kind of Jonah and the, and the whale. Now, look, imagine someone was to write a novel uh, about being swallowed by a whale. Uh, and it, supposing he wrote something like this. I was descending to the bottom, and I just got slammed, just like a freight train, and all of a sudden it went black. I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the thing squeezing with the muscles in his mouth. I thought I was inside a fish, but I couldn't feel any teeth, and I hadn't suffered any obvious wounds. I was, I was, I was completely dark and black inside. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of this. I'm done. I'm dead. And then it started to going up out of the water. All of a sudden, it just got to the surface. He started shaking his head and getting all erratic. And then, boom, I fly out of his mouth. And there I was just floating on the surface. And I was just looking up in the sky. I messed up. I know, but I think I'm going to live. Actually, this isn't a fictional account of what happened to Jonah. This is an actual account of a description of what happened two years ago, just off the, uh, the coast of Cape Cod, to a man who was swallowed by a baby whale. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you read about it. I, I hadn't read about it. I, I just picked it up by accident, again, uh, surfing um, the, 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 the little tag, man swallowed by whale, because there have, it has happened in the past in Victorian times. But here... We have uh, yet another example, if you like, of atheist fairy tales that don't come true. Now, you know, uh, those of you who've heard me preach before know that I talk about atheist fairy tales. Atheists tell their children, you know, you can't believe in God because no scientist believes in God. And yet, of course, it's a fairy tale because all of the great scientists of the 20th and 21st century believe in God. Um, or um, you can't believe in the Bible because there's all these ridiculous stories like Sodom being destroyed by fire. Didn't happen. Little child, don't believe. So uh, about three years ago, um, uh, archaeologists and geologists uh, going into the Jordan Valley have discovered a vast area, uh, and underneath uh, uh, certain strata, uh, there's 18 inches thick, covering hundreds of square miles of melted metal, glass, and vast amounts of fragments of human bones which is the result of, a, of an incredible explosion, 2,000 degrees centigrade, which destroyed the whole area in the Jordan Valley and also covered the whole area in salt because they, they think because, in fact, part of the Dead Sea was, was evaporated and the salt precipitated down and came down just like the story in the Bible of, of Lot's wife being covered in salt. Yet another atheist fairy tale. And, of course... Another atheist fairy tale is you can't believe stories like Jonah and the whale. And I've just given you an example of a fact that it is quite possible. In fact, the miracle of Jonah and the whale was not that uh, a, large, a large sea creature could swallow a man and he could survive. The miracle is that God was using this particular thing in his providential uh, wisdom to teach a prophet an important lesson which lasts down to today, and an important lesson also about Jesus Christ. Now, I want to notice that there is a difference between Jonah and uh, this guy Packard, who 
couple of years ago, well, 2000, yeah, 2021, uh, was swallowed by a, a baby whale uh, off, the, uh, off uh, Cape, the Cape Cod coast. Now, the difference is, of course, Jonah was down there a long time. Actually, this guy reckons he was probably a, uh, in, in this, this situation for only a minute before he was vomited out, spat out. But Jonah was down the whale for at least 30 hours, maybe up to 72 hours, but it depends on, on um, the factors I've talked about, how you interpret those, those words. But I want to notice this. He had time to think, and he had time to pray. He had time to be horrified, time to be traumatized, time to, he had time to pray in the middle of this nightmare. I mean... You know, what I, what I just described when I read out uh, Packard's account, this, this lobster fisherman who was swallowed by uh, this, well, what a, what a nightmare if actually you were in that situation when you knew you were bound to die. You know, he was in an air pocket uh, in, in uh, this, whale, this small whale's stomach, Packard, but he, 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 he was sure even in that 40 seconds, but imagine being there for 30 hours. With a big enough air pocket and a big enough air supply being replenished by air coming through the spout of the whale and so on and so forth. To be alive but know that you're going to die a pretty awful death. And as um, I've mentioned already um, from Psalm 69 verse 15, we see um, him praying like, uh, let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth. In his distress... He answered, he says, answer me. Jonah 2 verse 2, out of the belly of Sheol, out of the belly of the whale, out of the belly of hell, you might say. I cried and you heard my voice. So it was different. He had time to think. He had time to have nightmares about it, living night, waking waking nightmares. But I want you to notice his nightmarish experiences didn't start with the whale that was kind of they'd already started it first of all started with the waves we're told that Jonah sought to get away from the presence of the Lord Jonah had been a man of God he had been employed by God on serious activity in uh, in delivering prophecies to Israel the northern kingdom and to the kings of the northern kingdom but then He was given a task to take a message to Assyria and he didn't want to do it. And he ran away, thinking he could get away from the presence of God. Of course, the waves and the storm and the tempest immediately uh, uh, reminded him of the fact, of course, that God cannot be limited to a geographical location. And indeed, he is the Lord of the wind and the waves. And that's what he instructs the mariners in and tell, tells them something that he should have realized anyway. But I want you to notice Jonah's rebellion against God had powerful and serious consequences. Now he was told in chapter 1 verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why did he rebel? I don't think Jonah was a coward. But he knew, as a prophet of the Lord, and one who did prophesy judgment, that the prophecy of judgment that all of the prophets were given, all of the great prophets were given, to an audience of sinners, always implied there was a way of avoiding it. The, 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 the The writing prophets, 
from what we see, when they actually spoke to an audience of sinners and they, they, they forecast judgment, there was always an implication, yes, they could repent. They could actually be saved. Now, when the writing prophets wrote actual, uh, if you like, uh, uh, predictions and, and forecasts of judgment upon nations, that wasn't necessarily so. But when, they actually, when God brought a living message of judgment upon people, there was, it usually implied he was prepared to forgive. Now, clearly, that was, that was, the, that was the reason why Jonah just didn't want to help the Assyrians out. He didn't want to go there with a message that there was going to be a disaster coming because he thought, well, then they may pray and they'll get off. So he didn't want to go. Now here we have a mixture of pride, human foolishness, human anger and bitterness towards these people. We, we don't know why he felt anger and bitterness uh, towards the Assyrians. In a, was it in a personal sense? If it was in a general sense, in the same way that we might feel anger and bitterness towards uh, the Nazis or to uh, the, the way uh, various totalitarian uh, rulers treat their people, well, maybe we can understand that. We, we don't know for certain why he, was, he was, had such a hard-hearted uh, anger towards them. But I want you to know, notice this. For Christians, for men of God, for women of God, we are to be very careful. Paul says in Romans 2 verse 4, Do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The Bible tells us that rebellion, hardness of heart and disobedience has real spiritual consequences. Jonah, of course, immediately realized this, of course, in verses 10 to 12, uh, when he tells uh, the, the sailors on board, look, this is the way to solve your problem. Hurl me to the bottom of the sea. Now, why did he say that? Well, the truth of the matter is, Jonah was realistic. He knew he was going to drown anyway. He was going to drown with these men, whatever happened uh, in this storm. And so, I guess he, he, he thought to himself, well... Since I might as well drown by being thrown and hurled to the bottom of the sea rather than, than stay on board. But I, I do want you to, to, to notice that here Jonah is showing mercy towards pagan people. We're told they were, they were, they were pagans just like the Assyrians. And Jonah showed that, you know, a bit of a concern for their lives and said, well, just get rid of me and then you'll be okay. But even though he had that mixture of compassion and kindness for these, these strangers, to which we are to commend him, still within him there is still beating a heart full of gross pride and rebellion against God. One old preacher I read, um, uh, uh, F.B. Meyer, um, called him the truanting prophet. I think this is actually not, not really a, a correct description. If we talk about someone truanting from school, we're thinking of a, a, of a boy or a girl who's you know, just a little bit of mischief. We must understand Jonah's rebellion was against the living God and he was incurring blood guilt by doing so. Now what do I mean? If 
Jonah's motive, and he, he tells us this was his motive, if Jonah's motive was that he wanted the Assyrians punished, he didn't want them to survive, and that's why he wasn't going to tell them that there was going to be judgment fall upon them. Well, actually, he was, he was violating a basic principle of God's universe. In Ezekiel 33, God says to Ezekiel, the watch, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away any of them, that person, and, and that person is taken away in his iniquity, his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. In, just this way, in the same way that Cain had the blood guilt of Abel upon his, upon his hands, even though he tried to hide it and deny it, so if we know that judgment is coming and we refuse to tell the gospel to people, we refuse to offer forgiveness to people because somehow we, we feel uh, that, oh, they deserve it, we don't want them to know, then their blood will be required on our hands if we don't tell them the message of God. Now, the waves. I'll just make a further point about the waves is this. Part of the meaning of the sign of the prophet of jo- Jonah I believe has to do with what actually happened to Jonah in the waves. You see, Jonah realized the only way to abate the the fierceness of the waves and of the storm was that if he was thrown into them. Now, he deserved it and he knew it. He knew he'd been rebelling against God and he knew they were all going to die so he might as well go anyway and anyway why he got them into trouble. Now, I believe that uh, Jesus, when he was talking about the sign of the prophet Jonah, was not just referring to the resurrection, that just as Jonah had three days in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man would have three days in the belly of the heart of the earth and then rise from the dead. But I think he was talking also about, actually, this specific act of sacrifice on Jonah's behalf. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 39, uh, sorry, Matthew 16, 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you'll say, it's fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now I think the sign of Jonah does contain these these two elements. One, the casting into the sea, the punishment of the sinner. And two, his resurrection. And in Jesus' case, of course, it refers to the punishment of the innocent one. Jonah was guilty. Jesus was innocent, was cast into the waves of horror of suffering. And then he rose from the dead. Now, if we just think of Jesus' experience, we talk about the nightmare, the nightmare of drowning, of being thrown into the sea. Well, think of the nightmare Jesus had when, uh, uh, on the night when he was betrayed, he was to experience the nightmare of the wave of suffering that came upon him, the betrayal by a close friend, the desertion, by his, his disciples are all scattered like sheep and, and Peter denying Jesus um, to, a, to a servant girl. Uh, the, the guards hating him, despising him, laughing at him, beating him. The priests with their virulent hatred of him 
such that they were prepared to fabricate evidence against him to try to get him killed. And then the crowds, hundreds, probably thousands of people, shouting out at the top of their voices, crucify him. Psychological torture. All happening in the middle of the night. Isolated, falsely accused, found guilty, condemned by a court of law as though he was the worst one in the land when he was the Holy Son of God. And then the waves of pain for his body. The beatings, the beatings up the, but with the fists of the soldiers. The crown of thorns crushed into his head. The whipping and then the crucifixion. And finally, of course, the worst thing of all, the wave of God's wrath against sin. He himself enduring it on the cross during the time he's on the cross. All done so that we can go free. And I want to say to anybody who's maybe listening online or might be in church that hasn't yet received the forgiveness and the love that was purchased by Christ's, by Christ's death, you can leave the shipwreck of your life and the shipwreck of this world. Now, my grandson, Matteo, always tells me uh, lots of details about ships. I mean, he knows fantastic details about Second World War ships. But he also knows a lot about the Titanic. And, you know, he gave me a little lecture the other day explaining the fact that the owner, the owners of the Titanic, simply for money, uh, refused to put enough lifeboat, uh, lifeboats on board. And, of course, we all know what happened with the Titanic. Uh, there, was, there was time given to respond to the disaster of the... Uh, Iceberg, but there were not enough boats to save the people on board. And the tragedy of, of hundreds of people forced into the ICC and drowning and without, without anything able to save them. Now, you know, the, the Bible sees the world as, as this, this place where eternity is being decided. You know, it's like every generation is like a great ocean liner which is sinking. It's keeling over and people are sliding down the decks into the depths. And they haven't got anybody to rescue them or help them or put on board a lifeboat. Now, if you want forgiveness, you want to be saved. You want to have peace with God. You want to know that when judgment day comes, you will have a new life in heaven. Not a life in hell. Then reach out your hand and accept the hand of Christ to take you into his lifeboat. He can do that because he, he took the wave of the punishment of sin into himself so that we might be free. Now, um, I want to uh, just notice this, though, that when, he was, uh, when also Jonah was in the, in the whale for, as I said, anything from you know, 30 to 40 hours in the whale, he, he cries out to God... Because he, he, he's facing the punishment for what he's been doing, his rebellion, but he's able to use scripture. Now, I really do think that this is a significant and important fact. It is very difficult when we're in pain or in torment or psychological torment, when we're exhausted. Actually, it is very difficult to pray. and It's often very difficult to find the words to pray. But this is why it's so important to learn the words of God, to learn the words of scripture. And so when we are really, uh, really uh, sleepless, exhausted, we can pray. And we can pray using the very promises of God. If we just uh, are praying vague things, we won't get answers. 
But if we are praying through the promises of God, just like, uh, just like Jonah did when he was in the belly of the whale, then actually uh, we are going to have effective prayer. So please, let us prepare for the belly of Sheol, the belly of the whale, the experiences that we will sometimes go through. And probably uh, if we uh, know when we're going to die, if we are dying over a period of weeks or months, we, we need to know scripture to bring us comfort in our hearts and assurance and praise through difficult times. Now, so we've, we've seen the, 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 the nightmare of, of uh, uh, the, the, the waves and we've thought about uh, uh, the, the nightmare of the experience with the whale, but let's look at the experience of the worm. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Well, here we're talking about the, the very last, um, the last experiences that... Um, that Jonah records. Um, you see, Jonah had these series of psychological traumas, you know, that, which many of us might find difficult to cope with. Um, these catastrophic experiences, the waves, the drowning, seemingly that he was going to drown, and then the, the experience in the whale, and then he was spat out by this whale and and he came to land and then God spoke to him again and said look you've got now to go arise and go and preach to this city that this city is going to be destroyed and so he went he obeyed this time he learnt so much but there was still plenty wrong with him and his next really traumatic experience was not facing the crowds of Nineveh his next traumatic experience was not uh, you know, wandering around, preaching and everything. Because actually what happened was, the crowds listened. He might have thought they would have attacked him and, and, and cut his head off. But they listened. They repented. They, they said, woe is me, we've sinned, we've been violent, we've murdered, we've followed false gods, we've worshipped pagan idols. They repented. May have been a temporary repentance, may have only lasted a matter of months, a few years perhaps, but they repented. That wasn't a nightmare. Well, actually, it was the nightmare. Because that was the last thing that Jonah ever wanted to happen. They repented. He was hoping that they would be destroyed. His bitterness in his heart towards these Assyrians meant there was no way he wanted them to have mercy from God. And the nightmare started to happen. Everything, every reason why he disobeyed God in the first place and ran away came true. These men he hated, these men he resented, these men he was bitter about, these men and women and their children, he wanted them all dead, roasted, killed. And yet, here they were, seeking God. And he knew that God indeed would forgive them. In Jonah 4 verse 1, if you're following in the Bibles, you say, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, he's only just, he he was a few days before, maybe it was a few weeks before, when he was in the whale, he was crying out, save me. Now he's asking to die. Why? 
Because his bitterness and anger towards these people is so great that he, he, would, he would prefer to, he's saying basically, I'd prefer to die and drown than actually have this experience of seeing these people, these horrible, horrible people who've, uh, who've, uh, uh, who've um, done much uh, evil to my people and indeed to other people as well in the world. And they, they're being blessed. Now, what we know happens next is this. God asks him this question in uh, chapter 4, verse 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now, we might say this is a counseling point. You know, this is the point at which uh, all of these psychological twists and turns in Jonah's nature is is pinpointed. Is this a good thing that you're angry about this? Do you do well to be angry? Now, I'll just point out for all of us in our daily lives, the Lord may well be saying to us about anger that we have in our hearts to our fellow human beings. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's a real problem that some people have in forgiving people. Um, this key question, you know, why do you have this strange, un-Jesus-like attitude? Jesus forgave. Jesus forgave the very people that were killing him. Jesus forgave uh, Peter, and indeed he, he had a forgiving heart towards Judas, and even gave Judas a chance not to do what he did. He, 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 to the last, he, he, he offered his friendship to Judas, which was rejected. God says to us all, and this includes me, by the way, the preacher, as I look back on my past week, is it really appropriate, right, rational, and grateful to God to be in a constant state of anger? And I don't mean that you're going around all the time beating other people up, but there's a, a, there's a, there's a fire burning in your heart for, it might only be one person, it might be a group of people. In Jonah's case, it was a, a whole nation, but is it really appropriate, right, rational, and grateful to God? If I can coin the expression, some people are born angry, some develop anger over a period of time, and some have anger, anger thrust upon them. But should they be angry? What does the Bible say? Love is patient and kind. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable, easily angered, resentful. Love bears all things. That's 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, by the way, Colossians 3.13 doesn't say bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, wait until they ask for forgiveness. Paul doesn't say that. He says, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, you almost, almost as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, the, the Lord's forgiveness is unconditional, complete. This was, this was part of Jonah's, Jonah's problem. Um, maybe it's part of our problem in our life. And certainly, 
Um, you know, nearly every Christian I know uh, has, a, has a problem with, with irritation and anger from, from time to time. Uh, Spurgeon once met a person who claimed that he was so spiritual um, and he, was, he had no sin at all. And Spurgeon actually did pour a bucket of water over his head. <laughs> and uh, this man responded in a very angry way. And Spurgeon said, well, there you are. <laughs> now, the thing is that um, that was a bit naughty. But actually what we find happening in the case of Jonah is that God pours a bucket of water over his head in this particular uh, next set of incidents. Because what happens is this, that Jonah decides to, outside of Nineveh, some way away, he decides to build a little tent, probably out of the, uh, the uh, you know, branches from trees and things, and uh, sit there in the shade and meditate. Perhaps, perhaps he was thinking maybe, um, maybe something will happen, maybe God will actually uh, do something to this city and, and bring disaster upon it. And then we're told in the, in the last chapter that basically um, during the night a plant grew up with, with even more uh, cover, more leaves. Now, interestingly enough, I, I looked up at how, how high even you know, bushes today can. Now, the interesting thing is a bamboo, a bamboo um, sprouting can... Um, Uh, grow over a meter in um, a matter of hours, certainly in under a day. I think it's half a day. A meter, in fact, it was used as an instrument of torture by by, uh, one army uh, in the Second World War uh, of actually planting a a bamboo shoot underneath uh, underneath, uh, prisoners of war. Now, the thing is this, that there was a sprouting plant that God caused to have super, super growth, and it gave... Jonah even more shade, and he therefore had a very comfortable respite from all of his woes. All of you know, he could relax and he could think about what was happening and what would happen. But then we're told that God sent a worm in the middle of the night. Now here we have something very trivial, very mundane, but it leads to an explosion of anger and self-pity from Jonah. Now, the word that's used in Hebrew is also used in other parts of the Bible um, for caterpillars. So it may have been actually not a single worm, but it may have been a whole load of caterpillars. And of course, what do caterpillars do? They voraciously eat uh, large numbers of leaves. And uh, whichever way, this plant that was giving added shade to this little tent um, actually gave him, you know, was giving him a great deal of comfort and he felt, he felt better. But then it was taken away. And suddenly his raw emotions were then again exposed. And on top of that, there was a Scirocco wind uh, in, in, uh, in Sicily. Uh, the Scirocco wind is the hot wind blowing off the Sahara Desert that goes all the way across, uh, it kind of leapfrogs the Mediterranean, comes down on Sicily, and really it is terrible. Um, people are worried about the, the direct heat of the sun at the moment. They're making a big fuss about it in the papers. But that, frankly is easily avoided. You stay out of the sun and you try to make sure that you're, you're, you're properly hydrated. You can survive that. But the Scirocco wind is terrible. Um, it can, it, 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 it literally can wither large, large bushes in, in a matter of, matter of two or three hours. And that's what he had. He had this hot wind. It's like a fan oven radiating over him as well as uh, the direct sun beating on his head, the Scirocco wind. And he becomes exceedingly angry. Now, we're, we're, you know, I just want to finish by, by noting this. 
if you look at the text, uh, and I do say look at the text of uh, Jonah's, uh, Jonah chapter 3 and 4, you'll see that Jonah has these mood swings. It says, first of all, he's exceedingly angry that the, 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 uh, the city of Assyria wasn't destroyed. But then when um, he, he, you know, he finally relaxes, he's exceedingly glad. Actually, it uses the same word in the NAV. Exceedingly glad at this nice little respite he's had from all of these nightmares. And then, of course, in the middle of the night, God sends this, these caterpillars or this worm to destroy his foliage. The, east, the, the horrible uh, wind blows from the, uh, uh, over the Shroko type of wind blows. And, and he becomes angry and angry again and full of self-pity. And uh, I, I just want to read these last words to finish. You see, um, from verse 8 of chapter 4 onwards, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Yet again, (laughs) I want to die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, in other words, children, and also much cattle, the thing is this, it's exceedingly difficult sometimes to get to the root of our crazy emotional life and our spiritual lives. In Jonah's case, there's rebellion and pride swirling around, a lack of love uh, for, for, for people, a lack of love for those, all those countless children that he wanted to die, you know. Jonah was exhausted by these staggering catastrophic happenings that were happening all around him. He's disappointed because it hasn't happened as he wanted to happen. He's got these inbred hostilities to to wicked people. And he's got this manic depressive emotional swings that's going on as well. From great gladness and joy to exceeding anger. But at the heart, at the heart of the book of Jonah and what Jonah learnt was that God's love, his merciful love, is the most important thing that any of us can ever have. You pity the plant, God says, should I not pity Nineveh? And we might see a subtext. I have pitied you, should you not pity all other people? Jonah had already realized, and he's put this at the heart to his book when he wrote this book down. Chapter 4, verse 2b, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He knew that in his head. He hadn't let it fertilize his heart to allow him to forgive, to allow him to lose the bitterness To allow him to have a heart which is the heart of God, which is seen in Jesus Christ. So the book of Jonah, which is Jonah's own book, tells us 
that his logic had been totally wrong, his heart had been totally wrong, his psychology was messed up, but Jonah not only lived to tell the tale, he lived to have God deal with him and change his heart, and he wrote it down in this book, which we're reading now. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that though we often are messed up people, Lord, impulsive, manic depressive, going from mood to mood, mood swings, Lord, though our spiritual lives are often, Lord, shallow, and sometimes, Lord, we do rebel. Lord, we say, no, I I don't want to do this. I want to do something else that you don't, Lord, want us to do. But even, Lord, despite all of that, your love was so great for the world that you sent your only son to die in our place, to be thrown into the waves of suffering, far beyond what we can actually imagine. Lord Jesus suffered for the sins of the world, that we might, Lord, be saved, healed, restored, forgiven, and able to live in your love, able to walk with Christ, to be patient and kind, to be able to bear with one another, to forgive one another. And we pray, Lord, that you will, Lord, indeed, in all of our lives, help us to live that kind of life for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.